Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Hey, it's good to see you. Is it good to see me? All right. Just, you know, sometimes I wonder, you know, I always say that's good to see you and nobody ever says, well, it's good to see you too. Thank you. It's a little intimidating up here sometimes. Hey, seriously, I'm, I'm really glad you're here today. And if this is your first time at the bridge, we're so glad that you're here. Thanks for joining us today. And we want your experience to be great in God's house today. If you have any questions, out that first set of doors to the right, there's an info center. There's some great people there who'd love to meet you and answer any questions you might have. We're just honored you would choose to be here with us today. And if you have more questions about the church, and it's like, hey, maybe this is going to be home, and, and how do I get more information? On the first Sunday of every month, we have something we call connecting point it happens during second service and it gives us a chance to just share the vision with you and show you how you can get involved in the life of bridge church so just be aware of that again we're really glad you are here today if you're watching online for the first time thank you for joining us let's put our hands together and welcome everybody to the bridge church today so glad you're here today i want to talk to you about the cross the cross. We've sung about the cross this morning and it's great the, the words that we sang because so much of it fits into today's message. But you know, when you think about Christianity, the cross is the symbol of Christianity. It means something, not just past, but present and future. The cross is important. And this coming week, is the week when we prepare to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, next Sunday morning is going to be awesome. You need to bring somebody to church with you. It's going to be a great day. We're going to celebrate together what Jesus has done in our lives. But on the church calendar, as much as we celebrate the resurrection next Sunday, today is what is called Palm Sunday. It's when Jesus enters into the city and hundreds, perhaps thousands of people begin to cheer him and declare he's their king. But then just a few days later, the same week, a different group of people would take him and nail him to the cross and take his life. This is an important week for those who claim the name of Jesus. But today, I want to turn your attention to the cross and we've got the cross on the platform today intentionally because we're going to talk about two sides of the cross throughout his ministry jesus spoke on several occasions about dying on a cross he warned his disciples he told them what was to come they couldn't grasp it they couldn't get their minds around it but jesus forewarned them of the cross but you know it's one thing to talk about a cross it's a whole different subject to go to a cross and to die. Jesus was, according to Scripture, God. But he was God in the flesh as we knew him. He was God in a human body like you and me. Philippians 2 talks about all that Jesus left behind, all of his privilege, all of his power to come to earth and to live life in a, in a body with the limitations with which we live. He was God and yet he was human. And I want to begin this morning, we're going to read in Luke chapter 22 if you want to follow along. If not, we'll have the verses on the screen. Where it begins to look at Jesus about to go to the cross. And we're going to begin in the garden of Gethsemane. Because I want you to notice 
the agony, the pain, the struggle that Jesus began to encounter when he began to move toward the cross. Luke chapter 22, look at verse number 41. And Jesus was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. How far is a stone's throw? Well, how far can you throw a stone? You say, well, it depends on how big that stone is. Okay, we don't know how far it was. It wasn't a pebble, it was a stone. But Jesus was a short distance from his disciples. He'd taken them to the garden. He knew what was about to come. Judas had already slipped away. The betrayers were on the way. Jesus knew this is the path to the cross. Now it's about to happen. And so he goes to pray and takes Peter, James, and John with him. And they go to sleep. They're tired. It's late at night. Because they're not carrying the agony of the cross. But Jesus is. Look at verse 42. And here's how Jesus prayed. He prayed saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, keep this verse here for just a moment because I want to show you something. In this agony, in this pain, when Jesus knows he's about to be arrested and taken away, he's about to go to the cross carrying agony of that moment Jesus cries out to the father and his prayer is father if it's possible let this cup pass from me now it's unusual wording for our language today the way we would use English of course Jesus wasn't speaking English but when Jesus said let this cup pass from me the cup literally refers to the ingredients of the cup he's talking about his personal destiny And he prays and says, Father, I know what's about to happen. And if it's possible, let what's about to happen pass away and be moved out of my pathway. But then he went on and prayed, nevertheless, that's my human desire in the flesh. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. What Jesus said was, if that's the cup and that's the only way to accomplish your plan and your will, I will drink the ingredients. I will take on the death of the cross. In verse number 44, it says this, and being in agony, being in agony. You know, we don't use that word a lot anymore, but I think everybody here knows what agony is. A few months ago, Ann and I were out of town and I grabbed my suitcase one day and I went to throw it up on the table. And when I did, my finger rolled up under the wheels. And when I did, it got caught in there and it just sliced both sides of my finger. I mean, it sliced it deep and it hurt like crazy. And I began to cry out in agony. Ah, ah, ah. And Anne said, what's wrong with you? And all I could say was, ah, ah, ah. And I thought, I'm going to go in the bathroom and I'm going to run some cold water on this finger because it hurts. And I looked down and blood was everywhere. I mean, I'd sliced it badly. For a few moments, actually for a few hours, I was in agony. I felt that pain all over my body. But it says that Jesus, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Verse 44. In agony, he prayed more earnestly. The word agony means the struggle of the moment. The struggle of the moment. Have you ever stopped to think about what Jesus was struggling with in that moment? Have you ever thought about the agony he was carrying? You say, well, he hadn't even gone to the cross yet. No, but here's the agony. Here's the struggle. 
It says his sweat became like great drops of blood and it ran down his face and began to fall to the ground. That's how much pressure he was under. You say, well, why? Why all the pressure? Here's why. Jesus could have walked away. Scripture tells us in Matthew 26 that Jesus told the disciples, if I want, I can call 12 legions of angels and the Father will send them down and deliver me from this moment. He had a decision to make. Do I go to the cross or do I walk away? But he surrendered to the Father's will. In John chapter 10, three different times, Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I'm about to lay my life down for my sheep. You see, the cup of punishment, pain, agony, stress, and distress The emotional pain, the decision, the weight of that moment. What Jesus was facing, what he dealt with, what he was asked to drink was not rightfully his. It was ours. See, look at that cross this morning. That wasn't Jesus' cross. That was my cross. But Jesus took it from me. And Jesus agonized over the torture The pain, the disgrace of what was about to happen to him. But fulfilling the Father's will, he would choose the cross for our sake. I love the the movie that was out a few years ago about the passion of the Christ. My favorite scene in the whole movie is when it begins with Jesus in the garden praying. And he's knelt down, agonizing his sweat, great drops of blood. And all of a sudden, a serpent comes crawling through the garden. And Jesus gets to his feet and just steps on its head. and says, this is the destiny. This is the destiny. It may be pain now. It may be agony for a while. But there's a victory lying on the other side of this cross. And it was our victory. It was our victory for which Jesus died. But I want to read something else. I'll come back to this passage of Scripture. But I want to talk to you for a few moments about crucifixion. Talk about agony. Jesus agonized in the garden to the point that his sweat became blood. That's how much pressure and stress and distress he was under. But you know, when we in Christianity today talk about the cross, we think about a lot of things. And for most of us, cross is a pretty piece of jewelry gold plated silver plated sometimes got diamonds and i've i've seen athletes with big chains around their neck and a big cross with great big diamonds are probably fake but at least it looks like diamonds but but that's not what the cross was it is what it means to us now but that's not what the cross was wasn't a pretty picture roman crucifixion was an ugly ugly torturous bloody painful death so i want to take just two minutes i want to tell you about crucifixion when jesus was found guilty by the jews of blaspheming god i mean he was god but they accused him and found him guilty of blaspheming god they took him away and the roman soldier stripped away his garments they laid him across a stone and they took this whip that was called a cat of nine tails it was a leather whip that had a handle and then it had nine straps of leather and on those straps of leather they would put glass and sharp rock and even metal objects and they would put that and attach it to the straps and then they would take that that whip and they would beat 
the back of the person who was undergoing the pain. And they would rip that whip away. And when they did it, it would wrap around and just rip away all nine straps. Rip away the flesh and the blood would just fly. And it would lay their back open. They didn't put a stripe on his back. They put 39 stripes on his back. It was customary in those days for the Roman soldiers to try to kill their victims at the whipping stone before they ever got to the cross. Several years ago, some doctors got together. It's been quite some time now. They got together and they began to classify sicknesses and diseases. And they began to put them into classifications. And friends, it's no coincidence when they got finished classifying all diseases, they had 39 categories of diseases because Jesus took 39 stripes upon his back. But think about this. Then they raised him up and they put a crown of thorns on his head and pressed it down and they put a robe on him and began to laugh at him and mock him and call him the king of the Jews. They'd slap him and hit him. They'd blindfold him and make a sport of him and whip him and say, who hit you? Who hit you, king? Tell us what's going on here. Then when they finished mocking him in that beaten, broken condition, he began to carry the cross outside of the city up to the place of the skull. And when they arrived there, they stretched him out on that cross. And they put a nail probably right through his wrist where the bones go in two different directions. They put the nail right between those bones to secure him to the cross. And they nailed those nails in. And then they nailed his feet to the cross. And then they raised that cross up and dropped it in the ground and left him there to suffocate. See, most people who went to crucifixion didn't die from the the blood being shed. Wasn't the blood running down his face. It wasn't the blood running down his back. It wasn't his hands and his feet. But for most people who would be crucified, they would become so weak they could not push up to take a breath and they would suffocate and die in that state. That's what Jesus took for us. It wasn't his, but he took that agony, that torture for us. And then they put a little sign on the top of the cross that said, this is the king of the Jews. Ha, ha, this is the king of the Jews. Hundreds of years before Jesus ever went to the cross, Isaiah wrote these words, prophetically seeing what would happen. Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 5, says, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7 says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. But then verse 10 of Isaiah 53 says this, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. 
When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Why would God put his own sinless son on a cross? It was to carry our guilt, our sin, and our shame. And it pleased the Father to put on him what should have been put on me. Why would Jesus go to the cross? Why would the Father put his Son there? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That on this side of the cross, there's one thing. On this side of the cross, I am one way, but on the other side of the cross, I come out different because of what Jesus did there for me. Why did Jesus, why did Jesus go through the agony of the cross? We know it was the Father's will, we know why, but why would Jesus do that? In the garden, why would he say, not, not my will, but your will be done. If I have to drink this cup, I'll drink it. Why would he do that? I believe it's because Jesus saw the agony of people's lives. He knew his own agony. He knew, he knew and tasted the agony of the cross, but he stayed there because he saw the agony of mankind and people's lives, but he could see the healing and deliverance on the other side of the cross. And he considered his agony on the cross a small price to pay for our freedom. And that kept him there. But then there's a third part of this message. I want to read a little further in Luke chapter 23. Because I want you to see the two sides of the cross. It says in verse 39, when they, when they dropped Jesus' cross into that hole and propped him up there, they also crucified two thieves. One on each side of Jesus. And if you go back and read the account of all the Gospels, it sounds like when they got those three men nailed to those crosses and when they dropped them in place, that the religious leaders of the day in the Jewish religion, that the elite people of Roman life walked around the cross and they laughed and they mocked. Even the soldiers joined in. And as they mocked Jesus and went on and on and on, on each side these thieves began to join the mocking for a period of time. But after a while, something began to change. And I want you to read it with me. Verse 39 says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other criminal answering rebuked him and saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? For we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then this thief said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It's an interesting story. Two sides of the cross, two thieves mocking, 
laughing, telling Jesus, why don't you save us? They didn't realize that's exactly what he was doing. He was dying to save them. But these two men hang there and suddenly on each side of the cross, a different picture is painted. Have you ever stopped just for a few minutes and thought about what was going on on each side of the cross? Have you ever stopped to think about those two men and their lives? The one is angry. The one is resentful. The one dying in shame is screaming at Jesus. The other's heart becomes softened and he realizes he's dying for me too. On one side of the cross, it's one thing. On the other side of the cross, it's something totally different. But have you ever stopped to ask yourself the question, how did those two men get there? Oh, we know they're thieves. What about their childhood? What about the teenagers? What about the young years of life? What was their background? Scripture doesn't tell us. But we know from our society today that people are broken for a lot of reasons. And God looks down upon us even in our rebellion, even when we are living in shame and unbelief and running from God and cursing God. And God still has a heart to take us to the cross to get us to the other side of the cross. In that moment, with those two men hanging there, the agony, the anger of all of it. I think one man is so caught up with the agony of life, he cannot see beyond the moment. But the other guy on this side of the cross understands something special is happening here today. You know, life can be a struggle. Absolutely. Years ago, I pastored a church out of state, and there was a man in that church that, and I'll make the story really short, he, he was just kind of backward. He was a businessman, successful in business, but he was backwards. Didn't know how to act around people. He was just awkward. And he got involved in church, he and his wife, and boy, there were all kinds of family issues, one thing after another. And he came this close to taking his life one night. He walked into my office after church on Sunday morning and said, Pastor, do you, do you shoot guns? And I said, well, I have. I, don't, I only got one gun right now. I don't get a chance to use it much. It's a, it's a deer rifle. He said, can I give you a gift? I said, sure. Goes out to his car and comes back in. He's got a shotgun in a case. He says, I want to give you the shotgun. I don't need this anymore. And I said, what do you mean you don't need it anymore? He said, Friday night, about 2 in the morning, I pulled it out and loaded it and put it up under my chin. I was ready to take my life. But he said, with my last cry for help, Jesus showed up in the room and he told me everything behind me was gone and it was going to be okay for the future. Now let me tell you the beauty of this. When this man was born, his mother died giving birth to him. His father couldn't handle life without his wife and without a mother for this baby. The father ran off and got lost in the bottle and left home and left this little baby boy with two elderly aunts to raise this little guy they couldn't stay up with him they couldn't handle him every time the front door of the house was open he ran outside and ran down the street looking for kids to play with and they run grab him and bring him back back inside they were old they couldn't stay up with the guy and they're trying to figure out how do we raise this kid we don't want him to start with so they began to do little things to try to limit him have you ever have you ever had a baby in the house 
Have you ever tried to feed a baby? I'm going to talk about when they get to the age where they want to feed themselves and they get it all over their faces and all over the, the high chair and the table and the furniture, everything around them. He was one of those kids, just like yours. Just like you were. And they would take him and they would put him on a dog's leash and put a collar around his neck and chain him to a pole in the backyard because they couldn't stay up with him. And they'd put his, his food in a dog's dish and feed him like an animal. And this man grew up as a child in that atmosphere, carrying the guilt and pain. When they asked, what happened to my, mom, my dad? He's gone, he doesn't care. What happened to my mom? She died because of you. But that morning... In the middle of the night, 2 o'clock in the morning, when he pulled out that shotgun, Jesus said, this would be a good time for you to get to the other side of the cross. Amen. Let me tell you something. I don't care what agony has been in your life. When you take it to the cross, everything changes. God begins to turn it all around. The cross is seen from two different sides. The side of anger. The side of pain, agony, unbelief. Well, you can see it from the other side of the cross where there's faith and freedom and healing. On one side of the cross, Jesus is mocked as a fraud. On the other side of the cross, he's worshipped by the millions who've experienced his life-changing power. 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul wrote these words, For the message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing, those who are on the wrong side of the cross. But to us who are being saved on this side of the cross, the cross is the power of God. When Ann and I came to pastor this church 13 and a half years ago, the one main instruction God gave us was get close to the cross and stay there. Because, friend, no matter what you're dealing with today, no matter what your stake in life is, the cross changes everything. Get on the right side of the cross. Many years ago, there was a, an artist, a singer, became very well-known, very popular, started out in gospel music, got over into other kinds of music, started singing with, working with one of the biggest names, maybe the biggest name ever in, in all of music. He'd been raised in a pastor's home, knew to love God. He did love God, but it got to his head. Began to think more highly of himself than he should have been thinking. Began to believe he was really pretty special and pretty great. Began to move away from God and all he'd ever been taught. Got caught up in that life, that fast life of the entertainment world. Ended up bound by drugs, bound by alcohol. Lost his family, lost his money. It was all going up his nose every day. Working in the limelight with the most famous artist in the world, his life came to nothing. When it all crashed down on the top of a hotel in Las Vegas, the top floor next to the penthouse where the, the world famous artist was staying, climbed out on the balcony, got one leg over the edge and said, God, I've come to the end of this road. I can't do this anymore. With one last cry, he looked back at the cross and said, God, if you can help me, help me. The Lord spoke to him and said, you know, son, this would not be a good time to end it. 
But this might be a good time to start something new. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, I can't change all that's happened. But if you'll just back up to the cross, I'll let you start all over and life will be different from now on. 30 some years later, this man's been preaching the gospel all these years, a tool of God in the hand of God. His life restored. Everything he'd ever lost, God's poured back into his life because of the cross. And that's what God offers to us today. When you come to the other side of the cross, everything changes. One last thought. Luke 23, the last part of the crucifixion as Luke records it. Verse 44, says it was about the sixth hour, about noontime. And there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, until three in the afternoon, for three hours. The sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. I'll get to this in just a moment. The veil in the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Behind the cross, here on our platform, there's, there's a curtain there. There are curtains that run across, but there's a curtain right there. And it's all one big piece, one big curtain. In the temple of God, there was an area called the most holy place. And there was a curtain in front of that most holy place. And people were not allowed to go beyond that curtain into the holy place. Only the high priest could go on special occasions. And even when he went in, they tied a, a, a rope around his ankle and left the rope outside in case he was not qualified to be there and God would kill him. And the message was, God separates himself from man because of sin. Our sin... What Adam and Eve started in the garden, what we have continued in our lifetimes, our sins separated us from God's presence and God's help. God had him put it in the temple as a constant reminder. Average Joe does not get to go into the presence of God. When Jesus took his last breath, Scripture says that immediately that big, heavy, thick curtain was just supernaturally split down the middle. And God sent a message, the price for sin, the price for our separation from God has been paid. And now anyone who will come through the cross to the other side can come into the presence of God forever and ever and ever. Colossians 1.20 tells us that Jesus made peace for us with God through the blood ugliness of the cross when you come to the other side of the cross even on the worst day of your life you will never be alone for Jesus promised to be there with you have you ever wondered have you ever wondered how God sees a prodigal you say why, why you ask that because I know in a building, in a crowd this size, with an online audience the size we have, there's probably one or two prodigals in the audience. There might be one or two prodigals in every row, for all I know. That's between you and God. I don't know. 
Have you ever wondered how God sees a prodigal? Here's how God sees a prodigal. He's standing out in his front yard looking down the road, hoping to see you coming home. That's how God sees prodigals. Two thieves. Each one chose a different side of the cross. Two disciples, Peter and Judas, one betrayed the Lord, one denied the Lord under pressure. They walked away. Judas went and hanged himself, chose the wrong side of the cross. Peter stayed until Jesus grabbed his heart and got him through to the other side of the cross. You see the picture throughout all these ages from the cross to this day. There's two sides of the cross. You and me today, we choose on which side of the cross we'll live and on which side of the cross we will die. The great decision, which side of the cross will you choose? Which side of the cross will I choose? On one side of the cross, there's sin. But on the other side of the cross, there's forgiveness. On one side of the cross, there's shame. The other side of the cross, there's a release. On one side of the cross, there's guilt, pain for what I've caused other people to go through. On the other side of the cross, there's a cleansed, freed conscience. On one side of the cross, there's fear and anger and despair. On the other side of the cross, there's peace. There's hope. One side of the cross, there's sickness and disease. On the other side of the cross, there is healing and wholeness. On one side of the cross, there's death. On the other side of the cross, there's life. Eternal life. On one side of the cross, there's hell to pay. On the other side of the cross, there's heaven to gain. The question I face today is which side of the cross will I choose? Bow your heads this morning. Father, in this season, I'm reminded... I don't ever want to forget the price that was paid on the cross for us so that we could have a choice, so that we could choose life and not death. We don't ever want to get far from the cross for we take for granted what Jesus did for us there. But I pray now these next few moments that every person in this room, every person watching online, would have a face-to-face encounter with the cross and choose on which side of the cross do we want to live. Help us to choose life. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, there's always somebody saying, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. Yeah, and, and you've forgotten what those thieves had done. Yeah, but you don't know how bad my past is. Look at the ministry of Jesus. One after another, people came with really ugly, tattered pasts, and Jesus brought them through to the cross and changed their lives. Romans chapter 5 tells us that God proved, He demonstrated His love for us. While we were yet lost in our sins, Christ died for us. Friend, God sees so much value in you. 
He put his own son on a cross so that you could become his son, his daughter, his child. You come to the cross today and a decision has to be made. Which side of the cross will I choose? Is it foolishness or is it the power of God that can change my life? That's a decision we must make. Maybe right now your heart is stirred. Maybe you're realizing that God paid that price for you. Maybe you're asking yourself the question, what do I do with Jesus? What do I do with the cross? Where do I go from here? It begins with the cry of a heart saying, God, I need you. And it moves forward from there in relationship with God. I want to lead you in a prayer. I want to give everybody in this house, everybody watching online, an opportunity to embrace Jesus. So I'm going to ask you, even if you're at home watching, even if you're listening online, wherever you are, pray this prayer with me. Repeat after me. Wrap your faith around these words and start this journey of faith and let the cross begin to change everything in your life. Let's pray this prayer. Say, God, I need you. I believe in the cross. I believe Jesus died for me. I accept his sacrifice for my sin. I choose life. Forgive me of my sin. As I go forward, Christ will be my Savior. And I'll learn to make him the Lord of my life. So from this day forward, you are my God. I am your child. Because of Jesus. Thank you for receiving me. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now just, that's okay. Go ahead and give the Lord praise for what He's done for us. If you prayed that prayer, now listen, please hear me. We do this every Sunday. And, and if you're a believer, you say, ah, oh, they're going to do that again. Yeah, it's because it's the most important moment in this service. That's why we're going to do it again. But please hear this. If you've committed your heart to the Lord today, if you've accepted the sacrifice of the cross, you're beginning your journey with God. This is not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning. There's not a more important moment than this moment. If you're beginning your journey with God, we want to help you in that journey. We want to give you this little booklet. It's a tool with a simple reading for the next seven days. It'll help you get started walking with God. We want to give it to you, no strings attached. When service is over, we'll have prayer teams here at the front of the building. They're here to pray with anyone for any need. But if you just walk up to one of these teams and ask for the booklet, they'll give it to you, no strings attached. If you've got questions or you want prayer for something else, they can help you as well. But please, let us give this to you today. If you're watching online, instructions are on the screen is how you can receive this same booklet in electronic file. If you're in a really big rush today and you need to get out of the building for other reasons, as you exit the lobby, right in the middle of the glass doors, there's a counter set up there. You'll see the sign overhead, the screen. The next seven days, we want to give you this booklet and help you get started walking with God. This is the most important thing in our day today. It involves you and the cross. So God bless you today. We love you and appreciate you. Can we put our hands together and welcome new believers into God's family? Can we also thank Pastor Gary for that great word today?
Hey, it's that time of service where we're going to continue to worship through our giving. And I just want to remind you of a couple ways that you can do that. You can do that through the church app. You can do that through the church website. Uh, if you want to give um, physically, we have some giving stations in the back here and also out in the auditorium. You can also even mail it in. But I want to thank you for being such a generous church. Today, um, I, I was reminded of something. Uh, we, we have a guest uh, keyboardist today. His name is Michael. He doesn't know that I'm going to do this, but he's right over here. We'll wave, Michael. When I was way back in college, that was a long time ago, I was a youth leader at a church, and I was doing worship. Michael was like in the seventh grade, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, somewhere in there. And Michael was playing the, the keyboard in there, and he was phenomenal. He was far better of a musician than I was way back then. And today, as I saw him here, it reminded me of how we plant seed. And when we plant seed, we're, we're planting for the future. Do you understand that right behind that wall right now in our youth, in our children's area, we're planting seed? In second service today, behind that wall over there, we're planting seed into our bridge youth. Thank you for being a church that plants seed. Thank you for being a church that plants into the next generation because God is raising up an incredible generation. And I want to thank you for being a part of that, for what you're doing. Church, before we go, I just want to remind you, hey, if you didn't know, Easter is next week, everybody. Easter is next week. I want to encourage you to reach out through social media, talk to your neighbors, talk to your, your coworkers, whoever, your employees, and tell them, hey, we got great services happening. It'll be at 8.30, it'll be at 10 and 11.45. We hope to see you there. Bring somebody. It is going to be incredible. Church, would you stand up to your feet? Would you turn around? Would you smile real big at somebody? Give them a high five and tell them how much you love them.